think with the extinction level event going on right now with play to earn games, that this little rodent on the evolutionary tree might like grow <laughs> to be the future mammalian empire while all the dinosaurs die off. Hi friends, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. And today is an exciting day because we have, well, one face that I already recognize and a new face to join us. So uh, today we're joined by Amimani Kumar, um, co-founder of Navic, the beloved Lars Doucet, co-founder of Level Up Labs and industry analyst. You already know him from Crypto Corner and past episodes. And also Tim Menville, CPO at Hutch. Welcome, Tim. All right. Hi. Um, could you do a 30 second intro? Do the bit, do the bit, yeah, right. Do yeah. the bit, I mean, do the bit. Well, you know, I listened back. So some of you might know me as the person Maria mentioned last week who had a terrible time in Apex Legends Mobile, <laughs> <laughs> where I was in the first real match. And then the, I had to sort the cat out and I came back and then it was just a complete disaster. Uh, and then at the end, it declared my team the winners. And I was like, that was, that was not winning. That was awful. <laughs> anyway, it could have told me I was about to get into an 18-minute match. It could have. Maybe I shouldn't. Well, I mean, anyway, you got the you got the XP at the end of it, so no problem. I guess <laughs> I got something. Yeah, but uh, outside of uh, having cats and being terrible at Apex Engine Mobile, uh, yeah, I'm CPO at I sort of joined them eight years ago as the only analyst, and then I've gone through the whole journey there. I didn't. I wasn't working on any games companies before that. Uh, so that's been my whole experience working on ten different games there. And outside of that, I'm interested in games of all kinds, board games, party games, weird art experience games, anything involving people interacting according to some rules I'm always fascinated by. And what's what, your wrestling uh, what name? What made you... Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what, what's your wrestling name, Tim? What the, I've been told I should be called Manville the Anvil. That's a cool name. <laughs> I don't know if I have the build for it, but you know. Definitely, definitely. Sorry, Manny, what were you saying? What, uh, what, what, what made you uh, make the jump into the games industry? Uh... Right. Well, because I was always interested in games of all kinds, right? That was always mm. there in the background. Uh, right. And I did, I did a whole FAQ for Hutch Games uh, Smash Cops Heat. Mm. Like every, everything about it, how to beat all the levels. And then they had this opportunity where they like, we actually need a real analyst. And I'd mm. been working in marketing and then web analytics and a friend of mine connected me to sean ceo there and it was like oh yeah this is perfect definitely this is what i should do and nice. it's the longest i've been at any company but it because it all makes sense nice that's awesome and lars well what what analysis are you working on now what analysis am i working on now so i'm working on two things right now i'm finishing up some um, updates to a paper on Axie Infinity, kind of a postmortem on what's happened in the last six months with that project uh, for Novik. And then I'm um, helping my co-founder, Anthony, work on a piece about Dark Forest, which is one of the most interesting blockchain games I've ever seen. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting academic project. It's fully on-chain, which I didn't used to believe was possible, but now I've seen it with my own eyes. So... Um, Th th those are two things that I'm currently analyzing. Um, and uh, there's a lot of interesting things in both of those those papers, which will both be published by Novik. Yeah, we'll speak about Dark Forest a little bit <clears throat> in the topic, so we can dive into it then. And just before we move on, 
any favorite games announced at Summerfest or the Xbox and Bethesda showcase? Tim. <laughs> I, I have a, a kind of hype shield, right? Because I've just been burned <laughs> so often. If something is announced, I'm like, well, let's just wait and see. You know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. When a new Star Wars game gets announced, people are like, are you excited? And I'm like, nope, not yet. <laughs> just wait, wait for the reality. That's it. Cold. Well, that was not a hype fest. Um, Manu. <laughs> I, I guess, uh, I mean, I, I just kind of like went through the through the games that were announced and uh, the one that I didn't even know about and therefore it was a surprise was this one called Cocoon, which is uh, which was made by uh, the designer of uh, Limbo and Inside, you know, two of, uh, yeah, two of my favorite games. And, and I was expecting like Cocoon to kind of also have that same you know, um, thematic aesthetic. feel of, uh, yeah, exactly. Aesthetic and thematic feel of uh, Inside and uh, Limbo, but he's he's just taken like a much fresher uh, approach to it now. And it kind of had like, uh, in some of the levels, it just looked, it had like these journey feels to it, um, at least like, you know, just like the environments and such. Um, but, but yeah, pretty excited about that. I think that comes out in 2023 and... I think I'll definitely be purchasing that one. Last but not least, Lars. I mean, I've had my head tucked down, so I don't notice as many things as other people. But, um, you know, I saw some of the stuff coming out of Steam Next Fest. um, And one of the ones that was interesting to me is that I saw there was a beer brewing simulator, which was interesting (laughs) to me. And then um, there's also um, a game called Curse to Golf, which looks interesting to me because I remember really liking Golf Story on the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are some things that immediately stood out to me um, just just on Steam Next Fest. Wait, that's cursed to golf, as in a curse means you have to play golf. Uh, yeah, I believe so, which seems like an appropriate that's, curse. That's a good hook. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's- I'm going to be so basic in my hype after all of these answers. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, Forza Horizon, the Hot Wheels DLC. Well, that sounds ah, cool. Why I thought my son would love it's that. It's lovely. Oh, thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, and before we, last thing before we jump into the topics, um, the researchers that Lars mentioned, you have a promo code in the show notes to sign up to Navic Pro. So sign up using that to access them. And all right, so topics today, we have Game Pass announcements, we're going to be talking about Savvy Gaming Group um, doing an investment in, in Embracer Group. Uh, we'll be talking about the Dark Forest on-chain game that Lars mentioned. And Apple telling AdTech fingerprinting is never allowed. Okay, Apple. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll dive into that. <laughs> so um, I got the first topic, which is the Game Pass announcements. So there were 36... PC games showcased. The majority of them were coming to Game Pass. And the thing I really wanted to focus on is that Riot's games, so League of Legends, Wild Rift, Legends of Runeterra, Team Fight Tactics, and Valorant are coming onto the, the Game Pass uh, around winter 22 or, or early next year. And so a lot of people were asking, why are free-to-play games going on to Game Pass? And they already have this example with other games, such as uh, Destiny 2. And so these games will have some paid content unlocked, like the heroes, and you can gain XP to level up faster. 
the games won't be available on, on all platforms. For example, Xbox, uh, they're not available there. And I think this is a great thing for Riot because it gives a platform to a, an audience that has all of the heroes unlocked. And so they can experiment a wider, a wider breadth of, of the games um, to, to gain more loyal customers and potentially invest in more transactions into the cosmetics. So, um, Manu, I was thinking, because the PlayStation, the new PlayStation Plus tiers are meant to be released this month in June, what do you think? Do you think that the Game Pass showcase has now shadowed the PS Plus and now people will be excited again for the Game Pass? I mean, yeah, it's not just like any games that came onto the Game Pass. It's Riot's games <laughs> that came onto the Game Pass, you know, and that in itself, like League of Legends and their entire portfolio. I mean, uh, we can name all of them, but um, there is no reason to not be ex- more excited about what Game Pass is offering um, in the broader context of, you know, what Game Pass is even like trying to uh, achieve uh, with with this all-in-one uh, subscription design. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're... Absolutely right. Like the most interesting part is, you know, why, you know, Riot decided to make this decision and um, and how like the monetization of uh, this whole thing will uh, actually work. Like why, like from a business angle, like why would Riot do this? And at least for me, like it probably just comes down to, you know, um, yeah, Riot would have basically evaluated that can they, with all this new audience that they will get by like getting onto the Game Pass, can they essentially uh, achieve um, a higher LTV for that expanded audience through this deal? Um, and and a portion of that LTV is probably associated with some kind of a minimum guarantee, you know, that uh, Microsoft is uh, giving. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to be like on the other side of that forecasting Excel sheet <laughs> that would do this. Um, but yeah, through some kind of, you know, a minimum guarantee that is based on like, you know, portfolio LTV per player, um, that would be one aspect to it. And I think you also like brought up a pretty good point about, you know, um, how the monet- monetization long tail is not, not driven by the heroes, but the cosmetics. So in terms of like a, immediate monetization hit it's probably like giving a little less for a much like thicker long tail with all these new players uh, that would be coming in plus also like you know existing players that would then convert into the game pass and um, basically or yeah hopefully get a cheaper deal but long term i guess they'll actually end up paying more uh, to riot specifically um but yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was speaking with yeah. a friend who plays a lot of League of Legends, and uh, he was saying that, well, he hasn't spent this much, but he knows people who have spent thousands of dollars on the game, and it was all cosmetics. They just unlock the heroes through gameplay. So it sounds, yeah. it sounds like a really smart move by by Riot to go onto Game Pass. We'll we'll see. Yeah, and like kudos to you know Xbox and. Uh... Phil Spencer to actually like, you know, <laughs> make this happen. I mean, being able to get like Riot's games on the Game Pass is just, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And I was also like kind of researching how much time it actually would take for a player to get like all these heroes, uh, especially in League of Legends. And uh, there are some people who have done like online analysis of this. And 
on a on a in a very high engagement setting like you know 10 games a day it would take you like a year to unlock all those 160 heroes i think it is uh but if it's like one game a day it could actually take you 9 years <laughs> to do that oh wow uh, okay and uh, but instead if you actually end up paying for everything it's about like 1500 usd if you actually pay for every hero um and and yeah now with the game pass you can basically pay you know 10 to 15 bucks a month um you get everything unlocked but then you know the cosmetic long tail is still um is still available for purchasing uh later so makes a lot of sense um what well, one question i have is you mentioned a really important detail so like Xbox Game Pass is now this like multi-platform service, right? And you're saying this was not available on Xbox but was available on all the other platforms, was that correct? Uh yeah, PC and mobile. They'll PC announce mobile. further yeah. towards yeah, yeah, the end of the year the... specifics, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting to me and I think it like kind of like shows just Xbox's kind of forward thinking and moving beyond this one hardware platform to make a deal like this happen that couldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. Also like Xbox Game Passes are also available um on PC I guess you can also like play through uh your uh through your PC so you know again being able to like carry around your League of Legends experience uh device to device it, you know, is also pretty great Something that is uncertain at the moment is how or if players can continue their progress because if you're not on Game Pass you have your Riot account um you are wondering am i going to be able to link them continue my progress or um game pass also announced that if you're you'll be able to get bonus rewards so it sounded something like amazon prime gaming but between the riot and the game pass account connection well yeah we'll we'll have to see but at least right now what's been communicated is that what players unlock through progression will be retained in case their game pass subscription ends so if you mm. unlock if you formally unlock a hero you'll you'll be able to keep it and it won't go away but this was this was my question because uh, i mean many of you might hinted at this like somebody somewhere must have done a calculation on what's this going to do to everything and the whole part about unlocking heroes I I'm, I'm not familiar with the game right I've only played these kinds of games a little bit but it's like that can be a key part of what keeps you engaged and wanting to play and interested like oh I'll just get this guy now and the flip side of that as well which I just experienced was just talking about it on T3 Arena I've been playing it for 3 weeks I've unlocked 12 characters I'm overwhelmed I'm like oh man I've only just got the hang of two this is madness imagining starting this game with 160 I'd like I just like I don't well, know where yeah. to begin. Oh, well, options. Yeah. And uh, just completely kneecapping like, you know, progression uh, mechanics uh, in a way. Uh but yeah. um Yeah. But there's going to be like uh, ghost progression, right? It sounds like you you it's like when well, you've done the thing you would have done to unlock this guy. So if you stop, you'll have that guy. I I feel as a player I'd be guided by that. I go, "Oh, I've unlocked this one. I'll guess I'll try that." <laughs> Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think like we should still caveat that you know even though they have made the announcement a lot of details are still kind of missing from it like how mm-hmm. this whole thing will actually work. I I I think I'll even like correct myself a little bit when I said um that you can carry the experience from device to device. I actually don't know if they have confirmed that the League of Legends game will also be like playable on the console with this because No. I okay. think it's just PC and mobile for now. They Then. they still have to confirm all the details, but the research that I did did specify that who's on Xbox will probably not have access. Right. Yeah, because like I mean if it's then coming to console that in itself is going to be an entirely new, you know, uh 
product design endeavor for Riot, yeah. uh, given the way you know they thought about Wild Rift um, for mobile. So yeah, we have a lot of yeah. exciting topics. So we'll um, move on to the next one. Before we do, I was reading an article on the Guardian written by Keith Stewart, and the article's named "Why Every Big Game Looks the Same." And this was off the back of the showcases and the summer fests, because if you watch them all, it's like dark sci-fi in space much. Um, and the quote is, rather than look to the future, video games are now being designed as instant cultural artifacts because nostalgia has become indivisible from the present. And I thought this was such a good description to how I feel about big blockbuster titles that are coming our way. And maybe we're starting to see the consequences of potentially remote working affecting um, distributed R&D and creativity and not being together in a space to, to ideate. Maybe we're seeing the consequences of consolidation or the high costs of a AAA title being developed nowadays where games go for the known shots on goal that have been proven in the past. So yeah, hopefully we'll see exciting games coming from the indie scene. Really looking forward to that. Innovation keeps it, it coming. It reminds me of um, all the sort of genre films that Netflix end up producing. They're just like, here's a sci-fi thing, this sort of thing, and just like, just somehow looks so generic. And it's like, mm -hmm. are they just risk averse? And you're not going to come out with something totally crazy, like, I don't know, Triangle or, you know, the A24 films. They're like, no, 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 it's just generic sci-fi-ness. It looks familiar to you. You will enjoy it for two hours and then forget you ever saw it and carry on subscribing. Same kind of risk aversion. I don't know. One thing that's interesting on that aspect, this is just a tiny microcosm of the issue, but like, does everyone remember how when Warcraft 3 and World of Warcraft came out, that art style was like so distinct and then every game after it looked exactly like it? What's interesting about that is I think it was more than just the standard explanations like, you know, people are not creative anymore like they were back in my day or, you know, um, just like risk aversion. I think there's also like some pipeline issues, too, especially with like outsourced art companies. And I'm not saying like there's not talented people who work at outsourced art companies. and They're uncreative. I'm saying like there's like some kind of like weird market demand structural issues going on because like a lot of companies that like use a lot of outsourced art or whatever, like there's kind of becomes this expectation of like stand, like in order to consistently get clients, you need to deliver like standard issue, good looking, but yet generic art, because that's the kind that's going to get picked apart the least by the client. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the nobody got fired for making IBM style of art. And with like budgets kind of exploding, it's like, okay, I could make something weird and distinct, or I could put like some colorful dish racks on the pauldrons of my rogue, you know, and they'll be like, <laughs> oh, that looks like World of Warcraft. Great. You know, and I mean, that's just one genre of art. There's others where this has like the classic, like everything's brown, everything's dark, you know, mm. but I think there's kind of, I mean, I haven't fully plumbed the depths of it to like know like what my smart conclusion is, but I think there's something like kind of structural going on there where it's like, the way we work with people and the way we set expectations sometimes, you know, no one is not necessarily like making this decision consciously, but there's forces that cause it to happen. And I'm kind of interested mm. in studying that. Yeah. I think like, I think like I, this whole cycle of, you know, okay, when a, like a huge game comes out with a distinct art, art style, then of course it like just, you know, um, 
takes over the zeitgeist when it comes from like a art direction <laughs> art direction zeitgeist uh, but at least like the when i was working at zinga the way i saw it work was uh, even though there would be like multiple art, art outsourcing studios there would still be like this art director who's still kind of you know still defining like the direction and the uniqueness level of things and making sure like these guys are still delivering on quality so some balance is still maintained there and uh, you know uniqueness is maintained um but yeah i mean when a big game comes out and you know or a successful game happens it even happened with archero i think to some extent uh, on mobile uh, where that art style also started to get copied pretty uh, significantly apart from just like cloning that happens <laughs> but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's a really good point lars i hadn't thought about that okay we'll go to my news topic uh, I don't know if you if you all know this, but Manu, you went to the Alps and returned unscathed and explorer. So I'm happy that you're back with us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. That that uh, those uh, Alps trips. Uh, so yeah, maybe just like a quick anecdote, but uh, it's it's like an annual thing that uh, you know I do with my wife's family and my wife's dad. Um, he is an absolute monster on the Alps. Like he's. I don't know, like double my age and walks like twice as fast as me on that, on those mountains. So, you know, I always dread going there. But once I'm at the top of the mountain, then, you know, it's all worth it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, happy to be back and, you know, breathing at a normal pace. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so, yeah, so the topic uh, I brought to the table today is... Um, uh, basically triggered by this news item of, you know... Um, Savvy Gaming Group, um, uh, Saudi Arabian based, um, investing one billion in Embracer Group, and the reason it's not really about like they investing one billion in Embracer, but it was just my curiosity about who the hell Savvy Gaming Group is. Uh, now I also know that uh, Maria and Tim, you guys uh, are working at Hutch, and there's the MTG Connect, and um, so yeah, feel free to like you know step out of this discussion <laughs> for what it's worth, but. This is, uh, I guess, most of my um, explanation over here is really just going to be, um, well, actually, question to Lars. Lars, do you know, like, who the Savvy Gaming Group is? or like have you? I don't um, know who the Savvy Gaming Group is. I know, okay. I know a bit about Embracer Group because I've been following okay. them because of my interest in board games. And okay. um, I know that Embracer has acquired Asmodee recently and now has basically cornered the entire global market on board games. And then they own a bunch of video game properties because... Square Enix sold off a bunch of IPs to Embracer recently, and I think they also own Gearbox and a bunch of other studios. Yep. So I've, yeah. it feels like one of those conglomerates <clears throat> that's soon going to own the world, but I don't know who Savvy is. Okay, cool. So this this is just going to be like a, a walkthrough of a lot through a lot of information <laughs> about who Savvy Gaming Group is, specifically for Lars and the listeners. <laughs> so uh, to understand. <laughs> so yeah, bear with me. I'll try to make it entertaining. Um, but yeah, uh, to understand who Savvy Gaming Group is, uh, I basically went down like a South uh, Saudi Arabian rabbit hole <laughs> today. Uh, but we basically need to understand, you know, uh, Vision 2030 of Saudi Arabia. So there is... Um, at the moment, you know, Saudi Arabia is, has about like 70% of its exports uh, in oil and about 50% of its GDP is driven by oil. The, now in like slowly inching towards the future, the need for uh, renewable sources of energy or the want for renewable sources of energy is of course increasing. Uh, 
Therefore, Saudi Arabia, I mean, in a nutshell, you know, wants to diversify their economy longer term. So they've come up with the vision 2030. And part of this vision is there are three key aspects to it. Basically, one, so one is like to make Saudi Arabia an ambitious nation. Two, um, enable a thriving economy. And three, uh, create a very vibrant society. Now, each of these things has like, you know, some other smaller points to it. But we'll just focus on like the thriving economy part of it. Uh, to achieve this vision, there are 11 different programs in it. And one of those 11 programs is called the Public Investment Fund Program, which is a $500 billion fund to invest that you know, this PIF uh, has to basically invest in the local economy and the international economy. $500 billion, just to give a perspective of scale, is basically equal to uh, 14 to 15 A16Zs <laughs> at, at the moment. Um, so now they're going to take about like 30% of this uh, 500 billion. So about 150 billion is going to be reinvested into the local economy. Uh, and basically, you know, create more jobs, you know, enable more startups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and 70% is going to be uh, uh, invested into the international uh, economy. All of those investments are happening in 13 sectors. Um, and one of those sectors is entertainment, leisure, and sports. And within that, there is gaming. And in, in that gaming uh, chunk, is where Savvy Gaming Group basically uh, comes into play. Um, so Savvy Gaming Group uh, exists, um, uh, or basically it was formed very similarly to how Embracer or a Stillfront uh, was formed, where there were just like uh, a bunch of, uh, multiple companies coming together to basically form one holding company. Um, and Savvy Gaming Group is essentially a group of these five companies. Um, there's one which is the ecosystem company, two, game studios, three is the infrastructure company, four is the ESL and Faceit esports um, um, company, uh, and five is the Savvy Games Fund. And I believe, again, I wasn't able to confirm this with information, but I believe it is a Savvy Games, through the Savvy Games Fund is where they're making all these other investments into you know, companies like like owning 5% stake in Nintendo, 5% stake in Capcom, Nexon, uh, Take-Two, EA, Activision. They're like, you know, top three shareholders in all these three companies right now. Um, and also eventually uh, Embracer. So <clears throat> that's, um, that's kind of like all the context for, okay, who Savvy Gaming Group uh, or like why Savvy Gaming Group exists. Um, and uh, what like what the structure is, the CEO is uh, named Brian uh, Ward, who is ex-Activision, uh, Microsoft, uh, Game Studios, and EA. Very experienced person, and he's basically the head of all these different five companies. And each of these five companies also have like their own uh, CEOs, uh, mainly coming from the games industry um, also. Oh, why why um, Embracer? Yeah. Did you manage to find that? Did you manage to find why yeah. why Embracer Group? Yeah, so so that that's kind of like the next thing. Um, so yeah, just to kind of uh, before I answer that, one step back. Um, that five hundred billion dollar fund, um, you know, uh, if they're kind of investing it in thirteen different sectors, if you kind of just take like an equal split, it would mean about like thirty five to 
40 billion that's going into the entertainment sector and within that there'll be games so maybe it's even smaller over there i would assume it's equal to a little bit less than the capital that or the you know aum of one a a16z which they have to kind of put to work um but still so yeah so to answer the question like why embrace a group um I basically looked at like what are their current holdings and try to like bucket it right um that would kind of give us a feel of okay why they're actually going ahead with embracer group so at the moment yeah i mean everyone knows the esl uh, and face it uh, acquisition happened they have like five percent in nintendo capcom and nexon uh take two ea and activision is five to seven percent each um snk um king what is it king of fighters i think that's the game uh, from them Full ownership. Uh, they also have a stake in C Limited, uh, which I did not know, uh, which is awesome. And then there's Embracer. And if you actually try to like bucket these three things, I the buckets I found was like there's one which is long term holdings, which is basically like you know invest investments that Savvy Games Fund is making into companies that um, will basically be like great long term investments. Um, two is more arbitrage bets. Um, so yeah, sorry. So long-term holdings examples of that would be like, you know, EA, Activision, uh, Take-Two. Uh, then there's two, which is like arbitrage bets. Um, I think examples of that would be even Nintendo, Capcom, and Nexon because the Japanese yen is like pretty weak against the dollar at the moment. And um, I think it was probably a good time to like jump in uh, for them. Um, and then the third is national synergies is what i call this bucket and i think embracer fits in that because um investing in embracer wasn't just like a capital injection from savvy gaming group but embracer is has also agreed to um carry out like further m a operations in the saudi arabian region and the mina region through right. this relationship and like I think probably also like set up studios, help like the game development ecosystem grow over there and basically create like new entertainment industry, you know, job opportunities and kind of just get that whole environment kickstarted. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my rationale to it, but, but yeah. I have actually a little, can I share my screen real quick here? Am I allowed to do that? Does that work? Uh, can you guys see this? So. so this is from the slide deck of um, Embracer Group's acquisition of Asmodee. So this is a little out of date. This is as of September 2021, but this shows a bunch of the other companies that they own. So you can see mm. that at the time of the acquisition, they owe THQ Nordic, Coffee Stain. These are people who make Goat Simulator, Gearbox Software, Saber Interactive, then some of these others, uh, Deep Silver, et cetera. And then acquiring Asmodee um, is... These guys own basically any board game publisher you know, almost certainly Asmodee owns them. So Asmodee yeah. is like the vast, vast majority of the board game market, certainly the European uh, board game market. So um, th this whole presentation here has just like all this interesting information about, you know, the rationale um, from that. That's before all this stuff Manu is just talking about. And this is before Asmodee, I mean, not Asmodee, but Embracer acquired... Um, Square Enix's IPs, so yeah. uh, that that's just Embracer, not not this savvy group that I don't know about. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of like you know wrap it up. Um, but yeah, basically, this um, public um, 
what's it called the public investment fund exists to you know uh, increase wealth of saudi arabia and two it exists to um, diverse enable like rapid diversification of the economy so that it's not just like a oil based um, economy going forward and savvy gaming group is playing the role of making saudi arabia essentially enter into the games industry in a very very big way but mm-hmm. again it's like pretty it's it's very early this whole setup of these five companies the ecosystem company game studios infrastructure company then there's the esports thing and the games fund like you know puppeteering these five companies uh, to create like something of great value longer term it's definitely going to be like a long road ahead and you know if yeah we'll have to see if brian ward is you know uh, up to up to the task um but yeah it has like the potential to be something pretty huge um and um and yeah the big elephant in the room of course is well all of this is actually headed up by the crown prince uh, and he has a reputation of his own <laughs> so you know um how um how all of that is going to like play an impact uh with actually strike like for savvy gaming group and its games fund to strike deals and you know uh start relationships on a great foot in a, in the international market yeah my feeling is there will be like it will be like turbulent waters and there'll be a lot of convincing that needs to be done even after like the ambassador group announcement got made uh the ceo uh, uh lars i think his name is also lars <laughs> um, yes yes it is yeah <laughs> he he actually he wrote like a big letter you know justifying like why he took the investment yeah. um and he gets into like yeah you know, some pretty good details so i would recommend like reading that but i think that's already you know showcasing yeah like how the market is like perceiving some of these like this move specifically coming from savvy gaming group and the whole saudi arabia connect and crown prince connect and things yeah um so i just want what i'm going to say is more generally about about the industry and the consolidation. Uh June is Pride month, so I want to share some love to all of our LGBTQ+ listeners and allies. And coming from a perspective of consolidation, um looking at who's making investments into these conglomerates that own so much of the creativity and IPs and game development, I think my only deep concern is will consolidation actually affect diversity within games potentially if you know the more different views you have about what's what's the world and what the right world is could it happen well, you could, you could that... go the most optimistic interpretation being right that video games and creativity and risk taking it's crazy like you could lose everything it could just completely fail or it could be amazing if you are on your own doing that that's really scary what if you're part of a big group and a failure is okay oh maybe you can take more risks maybe you can do more diverse things than ever that seems wildly optimistic probably they'll be risk averse and not want to do it but maybe right maybe it will be great i'm going to go on a limb and say that consolidation is bad um my perspective <laughs> is my perspective is that basically um massive consolidation of inevitably leads to rent seeking um because you are no longer sh- you're shielded from competition um because you just acquired your old competitors and i feel like any sufficiently large company eventually takes on um the structure of a central planner 
and uh, takes on the inefficiencies and the failure modes of central planning, um, but is enabled, but because of the power it holds in the market, is able to basically command monopoly rents. And I think those are categorically bad. Um, some people might disagree with me, but um, I'm generally nervous about, say, um, you know, you know, I, I don't think my values are necessarily aligned with Crown Prince MBS, um, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, it's interesting that these oil rich nations are seeking to diversify. You know, I'm a I'm a Norwegian citizen and Norway is also big on oil. And there's been this like huge discussion in Norway's like, what are we going to do when the oil runs out, guys? Like, what's the plan, yo? And so they are likewise <laughs> diversifying away and trying to like come up with things. So like, it's a completely logical move mm. for the Saudi kingdom to do this. Um, yeah. The question is just like, it, it's kind of interesting to me, like my cynical perspective is it's like they're going from one kind of um, natural monopoly in oil to to capturing another, which is which is the global IP market um, is, is kind of my cynical take on the subject. Yeah. Or if we already have a bunch of consolidators out there, is it slightly better that there's another consolidator rather than fewer? Is there is there anything between <laughs> them competing with each other? Yeah, the, or it's just the, all the same problem. That's... Yeah, the competition of the consolidators. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, just to just to kind of call it out again, but. But yeah, <clears throat> that whole public investment fund uh, is still like investing in like 13 different sectors, right? They also have in like they have like a 5% stake in Uber, for example. Um, so yeah, they're investing in like aerospace, infrastructure, like all wow. these different things. And gaming is like one small part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what Lars said uh is will basically also be like what they would like to do basic you know essentially be that be the big pin in like all those 13 i guess <laughs> in the best way that they can uh with games it'll be like ip and you know embracer has like what 120 different studios now acquired was it that wow uh it was yeah. um it was yeah, it was 108 as of September 2021. It's got to be bigger now. And they had yeah. 560 plus IPs yeah. as of September 2021. And like some 250 so sure plus games in production and whatnot. I mean, yeah, it's an absolute factory. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll break their high score. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was just looking at the, at the time. And uh, Lars, I'm really sorry. You have maybe five minutes. So we're a little sneak peek into Dark Forest and your okay. thoughts on yeah. on-chain games. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it real quick. Okay, so um, I wrote an article a while back called The Degraded Blockchain Problem. Thought it was being original. Turns out it's just a restatement of the Oracle problem. And it's basically like, okay, there's all this blockchain stuff, but nothing is actually like on the blockchain. They'll like store some NFTs and then your whole game runs on a centralized server and mm. all your data is in a centralized database. So what's the point of the blockchain? And I mm. predicted it's like, I'll be impressed if someone can stuff an entire game on the blockchain and justify that it actually does something. And most people couldn't do it. And I continue to be not impressed. And then Dark Forest actually did it. And I'm like, gosh, darn it. I have to grudgingly admit <laughs> Why did somebody I not has see a point this before? here. <laughs> yeah. So Dark Forest is really, really actually interesting. There's an old Flash game some of you might be familiar with called Galcon. I'm not sure if it was a Flash game, but it was just like you have... Planets and the solar system, 2D, really simple. You got like the number 100 on your planet. There's a number 50 over here. Send ships from your planet to theirs. 
Then you can capture it. It starts generating planets like go click, take over the world. That's Dark Forest, but it's fully on chain, which is ridiculous. Um, and the way they do it is it's based off of this crazy technology called ZK Snarks, which stands for zero knowledge, uh, succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge, which what does that mean? It's crazy <laughs> math, but it means basically it's like in a card game where I play my move face down and you play your move face down. You know, I played a move, you know, it's legal, but you don't know what it is. And through the magic of mm. math that I don't understand They've achieved this on chain because the problem with like try to play rock, paper, scissors on chain. Hey, blockchain for the entire world. I committed scissors. Okay, well, he's (laughs) going to play rock, right? You know, so this is like I guaranteed you I played a legal move and you played a legal new move. And now let's reveal what they are. Um, And it enables fog of war in this game. And what's crazy about it is that they have this whole notion of digital physics where they created these very basic rules for the game. And then so, other uh, people just, create just just one one question, Lars. So you're saying like that whole uh, the ZK snark technique? They're actually, it's um, I mean, it's basically like a, a transaction settlement technique, I guess. But they're using it as a game mechanic, is what you're saying? Yes, it's a way to basically prove you made a legal move without telling people what it was, and mm-hmm. allowing it to be revealed in like a comprehensive way. So, like, let me give you a quick metaphor. Imagine. And here's the possibilities of it. Imagine I make a maze game and I put it on chain, right? Okay, it's just a stupid maze game. Great. Um, but now someone else can overlay on that. They can add their own smart contracts that interact with it. They're like, I put treasures in the maze, right? And then someone else can be like, okay, I put a minotaur in the maze that chases you and eats the treasures if you don't get to them first. And that's mm. basically what Zark Forest has kind of achieved. Now, the big limitation is... Only 3,000 players can play, and it's got major scalability issues because of the Iron Triangle, Vitalix Iron Triangle of decentralization, security, and scalability. It's picked decentralization and security, so it's not very scalable. Mm-hmm. But it's it's genuinely interesting. I'm not sure if it will change the world, but they've achieved the minimum like standard that I, cr- I previously thought was impossible at play-to-earn games, that this little rodent on the evolutionary tree might like grow to be the future mammalian empire while all the dinosaurs die off. So we'll see what happens. The evolutionary tree. I think coming straight out of the dark forest, that little rodent. It still sounds like theoretically you could do it without a blockchain, though, if you trusted. You could. There are some. You you could make something that's like it. You couldn't make something quite like this. There's a couple of nuanced things about it that are genuine, that even a skeptic like me has to genuinely admit are new. I'm not sure if they're valuable or if anyone will care in the grand scheme, but they are genuinely new. Things like you can't shut down the game, that no one really owns the game, and that other people can ship code that affects everyone currently playing the game on a non-opt-in level. Now, some people would say that's bad, but um, but um, it, they're very EVE Online inspired and think anything that is possible should be legal. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird Wild West experience. The paper goes into all the details. But there are some genuinely new things you can't do on an off-chain game. The question is whether they're sufficiently interesting for anyone to care, right? So that, that feels like yeah. it's, I'm reminded of a mathematical proof where it's almost like literally there's nothing you could do on blockchain that you could do better elsewhere. Like what, there's no point. There's absolutely no point. Okay, no, there is. There's one point. There's a small thing. Well, if there's one small thing, maybe you right, could right, expand right. on that. Maybe you could discover more things. Maybe there's more actually right. rather than zero. 
I've been genuinely excited by it because I was genuinely excited by the promises of blockchain and just been disappointed for the entire rest of my life. Um, these <laughs> these folks who made this are like super MIT nerds. The money is not interested in this game. Any money that's been offered to them, they've turned down. They're super wow. just in it for the tech and the math, which um, so, so they're real purists. And that's that's really caught my attention. So it's genuinely interesting. It's the most exciting like deconstruction we've worked on so far besides the Axie stuff. And it, it's the polar opposite of Axie. So will anyone care? Will it ever be able to scale? Who knows? But they proved like some basic stuff that was supposed to be impossible. So I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued. I don't know well, if you're sure intrigued. You can just clone, can't you? You can have three thousand players, okay, but you could have another three thousand players over here separately, right? Can you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you would have to. You would have to start an entirely new blockchain network. Yeah. To do that, okay. Um, but you could, yeah. And then the question is, like, how how expensive is that to scale up and whatever? Is it just a math problem or is it like a like fundamental law of the universe problem? And well, they're from MIT. They'll tell us soon enough. <laughs> I was really excited. Your diction, Mars, is amazing. A lot of information in five <laughs> minutes in a concise, eloquent way. I was very impressed. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I, I like the format. It's it's a, it's a nice challenge. Speed running <laughs> a speech. Yeah, we should have a yep. five minute Lars segment. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, my brain is a little bit scrambled uh, thinking about these Starks. But yeah, Tim. The floor is yours for the ad tech. All right. So this is, I kind of want to have the bigger conversation here. And this was already had years ago when Apple first said, oh, hey, you guys, stop doing that. We're going to bring in this whole scared network thing, uh, which is like, what does this do to the whole environment that we operate in on mobile and the products that we can produce? People had that discussion, but we've had some years since then, right? What we've learned since then is, no, Apple is really, really serious about this. It's not like a thing they tried and they go, oh, great, we can wave a privacy flag around now. And uh, But meanwhile, everything carries on as usual because, say, everybody's just doing fingerprinting. Now they're like, no, no, we're really serious. No fingerprinting. We, we really mean it. And you're like, okay. And, you know, they've got the threat of the hammer, right? They can say, look, we can see it on your website. You said you're doing this thing. You're calling it this, but it's fingerprinting. We know what your SDK is. If the app comes out with that SDK in it, we're not going to allow it. So sort it out. They, okay, it's it's a weird one. Like, you're like, how can you even rule on that? Well, they can. They can. So they will. Okay, fine. We know they're serious about it. And then the other thing I feel like, the thing that made me afraid of it a little bit, and maybe I'm just too optimistic about systems that produce fun games, but it felt like there was a chance. I guess maybe it just always erodes. But Hutch was founded on making a little paid game called Smash Cops. And they just submitted it to the App Store and then went home. And it was literally just picked up by Apple out of just the apps that are being submitted. And they go, oh, this is good. And they featured it on the store. <laughs> and it did well. And then the guys who founded Hutch said, oh, maybe we should keep doing this. Let's get into free to play. And that was a whole other journey. But so maybe that, that's the insane ideal end where you just literally get plucked for greatness for, for being good. You can't do that now. There's far too many games coming out. Okay. But, but if you make a good game, you can market it, right? Like, build it and they will come. That is a lie. It's not even an accurate quote from the film. Uh, but people want it to be true, so that's what they remember. Uh, but it's not true. It's not true. You build, you build an amazing thing. Like Among Us is my favorite example of this. It was out there for years. They didn't come. They didn't come. It was there. That game you love. It, nobody came. Nobody came. And then it got picked up in this sort of stream of feedback loop, and everybody loved it. 
So, okay, marketing is your answer. Like, okay, you make a good game, you can get there with marketing. Now this rule's come out, like making it harder and harder, they're really laying it on you. What can you do? You, you can go two ways, really. You go massive launch IP, right? Like the things, this is what I'm thinking the last few years, what have we seen, like Genshin Impact, uh, Apex, obviously, Call of Duty, Dino Cooney, like absolutely colossal games come onto the store just from their sheer size, you know, you know, like movie blockbusters, just because they're big, they get everybody's attention kind of thing. And it's just like, okay, you're going to get the world's attention. If the game's good, you've got a chance. You're like, okay, but what about everybody else? Well, okay, you could go super casual. So you don't need any particularly good targeting. You can just advertise it and almost everybody will click on it and play it for a day. And, it, and that's, you know, the whole hyper casual thing played out. And I'm like, what about the middle ground, which is a lot of where Hutch is currently like where it's kind of niche there, there are hundreds of these games which are really 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 cool for mm. maybe ten thousand, a hundred thousand players in the world just just those guys it's the best thing ever and they're going to play it for years so is this the end of those games because you can't find those guys with marketing anymore and you've got to go to one of those other ends right it, it almost sounds apocalyptic it's just but it's like because apple are getting more and more serious about it and we're seeing more of these enormous games come out i'm like Hmm. Is it trying to change the strategy a bit? Uh, yeah, I probably have like two comments on that. <clears throat> I think, uh, so first comment, there's also a third way, I feel. Um, uh, I'll get to that. Uh, but the other comment is, um, so also like Apple, the good thing about Apple, even though they have been like this, you know, uh, the parent, you know, uh, slapping us on the, on the wrist <laughs> for fingerprinting, uh, they have been listening. And I think like uh, with the new SK ad network updates that came out, it's actually a little bit, um, I think they're trying to like find some kind of a middle ground, you know, because. Uh, oh yeah, it's something. It's not yeah. all <clears throat> one way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's one. But I feel like the third way uh, is, and probably for these, you know, middle lane products that you were talking about, basically what has happened is all the targeting that could be all the optimization in terms of finding the right user that could be done before these people get into the game has basically been annihilated. But there's still an opportunity to get these people into the game with whatever SCAD network abilities exist. But once they are in the game, then there is an optimization opportunity for the LTV. So therefore, like, uh, and by that, what I mean is, you know, like personalization. Like personalization systems have just not been... Um, it's always been like a thing uh, in games, but like no one has like really uh, invested in it. I think at least at Zynga, there was a little bit of investment in these personalization systems. But I'm just imagining a world where, <clears throat> you know, where you basically have like, you know, five different players coming in to the game at the same time with whatever like reduced marketing firepower and techniques, you know, we have access to right now. But once they're actually in the game and given like their early signals or given or, you know, because the product is trying to like find a way to figure out like which path these people should actually go into so that their eventual LTV is like fully optimized. Uh, that could be like that kind of a personalization system. I feel like it, the, the scales could actually tilt in that direction, which would be like a third way for probably these middle lane games to potentially go. Um, I think, um, yeah, yeah. So... I don't know if that like makes sense, but uh, yeah. King King recently, it was this week, acquired uh, an AI company. 
with hmm. the goal of building out AI capabilities to improve <clears> game design, <throat> I assume QA, most likely for yeah. these personalization systems. And well, I, I suppose King has the money to acquire a company that is a, specialized in this. It sounds like personalization would be very expensive for a small company to take on uh, when they're trying when they're still yeah. trying to get their their studio growing. Yeah, that yeah, echoes I mean, a little bit what I was going to say with the scan additional options. Like, there's this whole gradation of how many players you acquire is how much you're allowed to know. It's this really fascinating, really informational, theoretic design thing around privacy. Because like, oh, I can see how academically that makes sense, but it creates mm. a structural advantage for the the bigger player, right? If you can't buy that many players at once, you can't find anything. anything. If you can't yeah, invest in AI and true. make super personalization, <clears throat> okay, you're out of luck. Yeah, but also I feel like the the like the gradations of uh, personalization. Could, like, there could be gradations that exist, right? You could you could have like just simple simplified like personalization techniques that basically does like, you know, 70% of the job, I would say. Uh, but then, you know, then you have like the kings and whatnot that are even going for like acquiring these companies to even go for that 30%. I would like if my my overall point is that this third way is just, is just rest, resting on this fact that now we don't have the information before they enter the game, but we have a lot of information once they're in the game and therefore it can be the LTV can then be optimized to kind of, you know, like still make that LTV greater than CPI equation work. Um, and yeah, I don't know if personalization actually like if this third way like becomes uh, more prevalent, then there'll be, you know, providers, I guess that will come out with techniques for this uh, or like solutions for this. And uh, that's probably where like the smaller medium sized companies will go to. But there is an but article. <clears throat> there's an article today in pocketgamer.biz saying that according to a research from at tech company Bango, 31% of game developers believe that their businesses will cease to exist with the new ad regulations and privacy changes coming into effect. And then you're saying I mean, that's including like, what Google are alluding to yeah. as well, right? Because there's going to be something there too. Yeah. Yeah. Although Google haven't fully explained what it's going to be. But they seem keen to try to criticize Apple indirectly, saying that they're going to do it better. So we'll we'll have to see what what that means. And it, also another percentage that was about sixty nine percent of game devs they interviewed are struggling to get new paying users. Hmm. I'm just here to bring facts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I have I mean, another point on this, but uh, what, Lars, did you, did you want to yeah. jump in on this yet? Or? Yeah, I mean, I used to. You know, I used to do some consulting for Valve and I, you know, did a bunch of analysis of the PC gaming space. I'm most familiar with mobile gaming, though my co-founder specializes in free-to-play and mobile. But I mean, user acquisition has always been this horrible problem. And it, and it you know, it, it's just gotten worse as it it's become easier than ever to make a game, which means more people make games, which means like discovery is this like very thorny problem that everyone has because frankly the kind of games people are making now are just of higher quality than ever before. Like, I mean, if Super Mario Brothers came out 10 years later, nobody would have cared, right? But now it's an eternal classic. I mean, it, it's still like very, very well designed and timeless, but like, right, like, let's be real, you know? And um, these platforms who really own the discovery 
Like I've always said, like Steam is the least worst because like they don't own the entire like PC, even if they have this like very powerful platform, like Apple owns the whole hardware chain top to bottom. And so like they make all the rules. It's like I really like I like that they're a little more privacy focused than Google. But at the same time, it's like they do it in a very cynical way. They're like, it's like it's not like we're looking out for your privacy and we're also looking out for your best interest as a customer and a producer. Right. It's it's like maybe only the first one, like the latter two is it's like it's also really convenient that we control the distribution and we will never, ever, ever give that up. Right. Until the courts drag our bloody corpse, you know, through the streets. Um, And the same and the same is true for Google. It's like they really all this stuff has come out of the trials of all the anti-competitive practices they go into to just control that one chain because they love that they're in control and picking winners and losers. They're never going to give that up. And um, I just think that, especially in the case of Apple, what kind of makes it sad is that Apple fundamentally in its DNA doesn't really care about games on the same level that certain other companies do, like Microsoft. I don't trust Microsoft more than I can throw it, but Microsoft at least gives a fig about games, right? That's in their DNA. They understand to what degree gaming has driven a lot of their success. And so like they at least speak the language, but Apple always treats gaming as this like kind of foreign thing that's like maybe useful for them, but like they they treat it much more like cattle in my opinion as just undifferentiated masses of objects for them to manipulate for profit rather than something whose success they actively want to share. And sorry, I got a little editorializing there, but that's just kind of... <laughs> well, that's, huh. that, that segs into exactly the other point I wanted to make, right? Which is, I appreciate there's a thing, right? If the tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. If you think of things in systems, then every ruling looks like a systems <clears> play. And so in my head, I'm like, ah, Apple have done this because they don't like this kind of game. Like they're there going, we're going to make beautiful devices. Mm. People will have beautiful apps. There's games. Okay, they will have beautiful games. Great. And then, uh, you know, years pass and they go, how are we doing? Well, we've made billions from these in-app purchases. Oh, wow. What are, what are they buying? They're buying a 1% chance to get an anime cat girl that's cooler than this other one. And Apple are like, oh, that's not really what I wanted to be happening. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, how can we tamp that down a bit? And then, of course, there's Apple Arcade, right? Which is... Their answer, they're like, gaming, just ones that we like. Yes, this is what people want. I don't think they've got that quite right. It, but it shows to me like there's an interest there in like, we want gaming to be the shape we want it to be. Mm. We don't really like this thing so much. Oh, this might stop it a little bit. Well, last week, two, two executives of Apple Arcade left to go pursue other, other opportunities. Um, Mark Bozon, who was the creative director of games on Apple Arcade and... Kathy Astromoff, um, who was executive producer. Yeah. I don't know if it's related, but I mean, maybe I think it is. that's an int- I think that's an interesting signal, right? It's like it, you, you see this a lot. Like you saw it with Google Stadia, they brought in all this talent to like run this game studio, and then like those people just kind of bounced off because it's like you bring all these people in, presumably for their expertise, and then you get a sense that like they weren't really listened to. You know, and I can imagine being very frustrated in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I w- I'd love to know what went on there because in my head, well, I guess this even ties into the Game Pass thing, actually. There's a whole... Games can take any shape, Get right? Games can take you five minutes <clears> or <throat> a lifetime, involve any number of mechanics or no mechanics. Absolutely, they can be anything. And then it's like, well, what's the exact right game for a mobile subscription then? Right, and like 
what is that? What is that? Is it is it a game that takes two hours and is very cinematic and you just have loads of those and you're actually leaning in a Netflix direction? You know, mm-hmm. or, or what is it? But it doesn't feel like they've engaged with that question at all. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. this looks good. Let's put that on. And my experience, I assume I'm not alone on Apple Arcade, is you t- spend a lot of time looking for anything that is good. And then you play that and you're like, wait, I've just been playing this one game for two months. Why am I subscribing to this service? Uh, I'm out. I just played oh, like, the made- Sasquatch game, I remember, from Apple Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> what the golf? It was it for me. Uh, what the golf, you, yeah. That- you made such a good point with Netflix games. Because I'm now more bullish on Netflix after seeing their their showcase, their Geek Week or something like that. I, I've been thinking about how can I convince my mom and my sister to abandon my Netflix subscription so I can cancel it. Because um, I'm not very happy with the content. And no, I'm not multi-accounting, Netflix. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> and <laughs> after seeing their showcase of the games I'm keeping my subscription because so many of them are fun and they just have this well, well the quote I gave earlier about the nostalgia is now happens in a much shorter time span all, seeing mm. all of those IPs that I loved and all of these games all come for free within my ever more expensive subscription in Netflix it just made me feel okay maybe it's worth holding out and also gaining access to these games yeah, I think one thing, just a rule of game design that's always underappreciated every generation is that the business model changes the kind of games you make. And um, what I think is interesting is like a lot of people will just try to like keep doing the same old, same old. Um, we saw that in blockchain is just people take standard game designs and staple a blockchain to them and it doesn't work. But like right off of Maria's point is what's really interesting is when companies take that lesson even further to its limit is it's like my company was built up for X. And now that I'm moving to this like games as subscription as part of my value add, I'm willing to move beyond the contours of my safe business. Xbox Game Pass moving with like XCloud to be like, what if you could play Xbox games not on an Xbox? Mm. It's like that was a move that they were willing to make before any of the other publishers. And like, so so like, I I don't know too much about Netflix's idea, but I'm imagining I don't play my Netflix games on my Roku box, right? I imagine I, I I play them somewhere else, but I get them with my Netflix subscription, right? That's 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 the way it works. Yeah, you just install yeah. them on I, your phone. Yeah. 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 Well, great, right? And so it's like now I have a reason to be subscribed to Netflix, even if it's not like on the Netflix app. And I think that 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 takes a little bit of a leap that some companies aren't willing to make. And um, and I, I think that's a good sign. I think Xbox. The story of Xbox and Steam has always been that Steam ate Microsoft's lunch for breakfast <clears throat> and Xbox should have dominated Windows gaming. They just gave it away because of all kinds of institutional blinders and they're only now making up for lost time. And um, it's interesting to kind of see Netflix making some steps here that don't don't seem completely mistaken. So that, that's really interesting to me. Bef- uh, I, I do have like one last question for them before we wrap up. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Tim, like the way you kind of explained, just to kind of bring it back to like, you know, the whole free-to-play part of things. But um, while you're explaining, like there's these two parts, right? Essentially, um, uh, I'm sure like you have also kind of like thought about, okay, is there like a third part? And I was curious, like what what ideas you had over there or what, what thoughts right. you kind of had there? <laughs> put, put that ball in my court. Like there, like there's a really, really obvious third one, which is, the smaller version of the absolute giant play, you just you partner with an IP, right? Mm. You can get that going. They bring all of that attention for you for free. We have this game, F1 Clash. It 
definitely objectively does well because F1 is a real world thing uh, that people are interested in and mm. that gets their searching on the app store just for F1 and then they find it by accident even. Uh, it gets them invested in the game because they already care about the drivers and, the, you know, that whole uh, structure of race and everything. It's it's giving us a lot. It's like, well, you, yeah. you can keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. IP. Or Hot Wheels. Yeah, I, that was huge. I'm very sad that we had to shut that down, but that just a hot... We, we had a Hill Climby style game, 3D, Hill, Hill Dash, and it was pretty good. Mm. And then we made a Hot Wheels version Millions, millions pouring in every month for years. <laughs> just they want to play this game. Was the first actually good Hot Wheels game on mobile. I don't know if it's too controversial <laughs> to say that, but uh, that, that, it was huge. Now the monetization is not so great because they're mostly children. All right, that's fine. Mm. And we decided that wasn't necessarily a business we wanted to particularly exploit, so we kind of let it go. But it's a great example of IP can give you a lot. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. Reaching the well, we've reached the one hour mark, so unfortunately, we have to end the episode. Lots of interesting discussions. Thank you so much for joining. This is great, Tim. Thanks Lars, for having us thanks on. Thanks for joining. Yeah, Manu, yeah, first, very first happy. time, like two new people on the round table, so that's uh, yeah. that's a first. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, hopefully, you'll want to join more episodes. And if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on the Navic Discord. You can sign up to the free uh, Navic newsletter called Navic Digest, and we will see you next week.